All right, so we're going to be in Judges 9 again, and we will be finishing out chapter 9 today. So, verse 22 through verse 57. And I'm just going to go ahead and start reading at verse 22 of Judges 9. It says, Abimelech ruled over Israel three years, and God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem, and the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech, that the violence done to the seventy sons of Jerubbabel might come, and their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them, and on the men of Shechem, who strengthened his hand to kill his brothers. And the leaders of Shechem put men in ambush against him on the mountaintops, and they robbed all who passed by them along the way. And it was told to Abimelech, And Gael, the son of Ebed, moved to Shechem with his relatives, and the leaders of Shechem put confidence in him. And they went out into the field and gathered the grapes from their vineyard, and trod them and held a festival. And they went into the house of their god and ate and drank and reviled Abimelech. And Gael, the son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech, and who are we of Shechem? that we should serve him. Is he not the son of Jerubbabel, and is not Zebul his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem. But why should we serve him? Why would that this people were under my hand? Then I would remove Abimelech, and I would say to Abimelech, Increase your army and come out. Then Zebul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gael, the son of Ebed, and his anger was kindled. And he sent messengers to Abimelech secretly, saying, Behold, Gael, the son of Ebed, and his relatives have come to Shechem. And they are stirring up the city against you. Now therefore go by night, you and the people who are with you, and set an ambush in the field. Then in the morning, as soon as the sun is up, rise early and rush upon the city. And when he and the people who are with him come out against you, you may do to them as your hand finds to do. So Abimelech and all the men who were with him rose up by night and set an ambush against Shechem in four companies. And Gael the son of Ebed went out and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city. And Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from the ambush. And when Gael saw the people, he said to Zebul, Look, people are coming down from the mountaintops. And Zebul said to him, You mistake the shadow of the mountains for men. And Gael spoke again and said, Look, people are coming down from the center of the land, and one company is coming from one direction of the diviner's oak. Then Zebul said to him, Where is your mouth now, you who said, Who is Abimelech, that we should serve him? Are not these the people whom you despise? Go now and fight with them. And Gael went out at the head of the leaders of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him, and he fled before him, and many fell wounded upon the entrance of the gate. And Abimelech lived at Aruma, and Zebul drove out Gael and his relatives so that they would not dwell at Shechem. On that following day, the people went out into the field, and Abimelech was told. And he took his people, divided them into three companies, and set an ambush in the fields. And he looked, and he saw the people coming out of the city, so he rose against them and killed them. Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city, while the two companies rushed upon all who were in the field and killed them. And Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He captured the city and he killed the people who were in it, and he razed the city and he sowed it with salt. Then all the leaders of the tower of Shechem heard of it. They entered the stronghold of the house of el Abimelech was told that all the leaders of the tower of Shechem were gathered together, and Abimelech went to Mount Zalman he and all the people who were with him. And Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down the bundle of brushwood and took it up and laid it on his shoulder. And he said to the men who were with him, What you have seen me do, hurry and do as I have done. 
So every one of them cut down his bundle and followed Abimelech and put it against the stronghold. And they set the stronghold on fire over them so that all the people of the tower of Shechem also died, about 1,000 men and women. Then Abimelech went to Thebes and encamped against Thebes and captured it. But there was a strong tower within the city and all the men and women and all the leaders of the city fled to it and shut themselves in. And they went up to the roof of the tower. And Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it and drew near to the door of the tower to burn it with fire. And a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called out quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, lest they say of me a woman killed him. And his young man thrust him through and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, everyone departed to his home. Thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his seventy brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads. And upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubal. Wow. So that's a lot of verses, um, but it's really one uh, kind of flowing narrative. And so it's all uh, the same picture of what's going on. Um, so I'm just going to introduce this by reminding you of where we were uh, last week. Last week, we covered uh, essentially Abimelech rising to power, seizing control of Israel. And to do so, he has to kill uh, his, his family. He killed all his brothers except for one. And the one who gets away uh, essentially has this prophecy. And in the prophecy, he says that um, the uh, fire from Abimelech is going to go out and destroy the men of Shechem. And then the fire from the men of Shechem is going to come out and destroy Abimelech. That there's going to be this mutually insured destruction between these two uh, guilty parties, the people who are guilty for killing Gideon's sons. And so then uh, we find ourselves here uh, in verse 22 um, with the, the unfolding of those events. And last week the title was, uh, I think, something like The, no- the Noble Bush. Um, and this week uh, the title of our study is going to be The Vindictive Bush. And so he's... Uh, He's, he's quite unreasonable, and you kind of pick that up as you go along and, and follow his, his thought or lack thereof as he's moving. And so uh, we're just going to kind of work through it in order. So the first thing that you see is it's not immediate, the punishment. The very first thing that happens is three years of peace happens for Abimelech, where he rules and reigns and enjoys a good deal of comfort, uh, despite the fact that he's just committed this horrid atrocity. Now, this is not uncommon in scripture for someone to commit a sin and then have a period of time delay before that sin is punished for them. Sometimes the punishment is immediate. And we can think about examples uh, like, for example, Uzziah, when he reaches out to touch the ark, he's killed immediately. Uh, in the New Testament, when Ananias and Sapphira lie, uh, lie to the church about how much they, they gave, then they die immediately upon committing that sin. But sometimes it takes a great deal of time. For David, his sin is punished not immediately when he uh, sleeps with Bathsheba and then kills Uriah. It's actually a period of like something between six and nine months later when he is actually found out and, and uh, indicted for that sin and when that punishment is finally yielded to him. So sometimes sin is punished immediately, sometimes not. In this case, uh, Abimelech gets three years of break from his sin. Uh, and notice that that three years is not a period of time for him to repent. It's not a period of time where he... Uh, feels sorrow for what he did and turns and turns to the Lord and asks for forgiveness. He just kind of keeps on going and digging deeper and deeper into his sin. He, he takes the sin, takes the leadership, and essentially thinks no more of it. And it's during this period of time that God begins to work out the, the justice that ought to be done. And so in verse 23, 
And then again in verse uh, 56, you kind of see how God is involved. And everything that happens in between is a lot of action, a lot of moving pieces. And you can get lost in the plot of the story, but we're told on the front and the back end what's actually going on, right? The narrator tells us on the front end, verse 23, and God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. And then the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. Verse 24, that the violence done to the 70 sons of Jerubbabel might come and their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother who killed them, and on the men of Shechem. So we're told on the front end, God has sent this wicked spirit between them to do justice. And then at the very end, once that, once everything has unfolded, verse 56 tells us that thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads. So those two sandwiches, uh, they, they kind of guide us through the rest of the messiness that's going on because everything else that happens is a bunch of sinful humans involved in mutually selfish conflict and so it gets very messy, but we're told on either end what's actually going on. And I think that's helpful um, when we're looking at, at these verses. And so um, in verse uh, 24, we see what's happening. And then in verse 25, uh, on the ground, what's happening is the leaders of Shechem put men in ambush. So they hire out more people and they put these men in ambush against, uh, against Abimelech. And the hope is that as Abimelech passes by at some point, that they can catch him off guard, attack him, and hopefully kill him. But these men are similar to the men Abimelech hired. They're, they're worthless men. And so they, they rob basically anyone who comes by. And so because anyone who passes through is getting robbed, Abimelech eventually catches wind of the fact that there's these people who are out to kill people on the highway. And so it doesn't, it doesn't take him long to, to figure out what's actually going on, that the leaders of Shechem are fed up with his leadership and they want him out. And so um, what, what naturally happens is this is going to create this kind of mutual escalation between Abimelech and the leaders. So at first Abimelech find this out and you can imagine that he still feels confident, but he's not actually, uh, he's not actually punishing them for this at this moment. It's not actually until there's one specific person who directly challenges Abimelech's leadership position that uh, Abimelech gets more vindictive. And so you see uh, that in verse 26, that there's this character named Gael, uh, the son of Ebed. And as soon as Gael comes on the scene, he's immediately uh, starts, he's kind of like a lightning rod for conflict. And so he comes on the scene, he moves into town, then he, and then we're not really told much about him except for the fact that right when he moves into town, the leaders of Shechem begin to put their confidence in him. And this is at the same time that they're kind of dismissing or trying to get rid of Abimelech. So the leaders, their, their human favor has shifted from Abimelech to this character, Gale. And they're thinking that, you know, he is going to be a better option as a leader than Abimelech would be. And this is just human nature, human fickleness kind of on display because that's exactly what they thought about Abimelech before Abimelech was their leader. They thought Abimelech was a great option and we'll, take, we'll, we'll cast our bet in with him instead of the other sons of Gideon. And that was a terrible decision. And so now instead of learning from their mistake, they're gonna double down and do the same thing again. <laughs> and so Gale comes into town and then they have this grape harvest and translation of that is they're going to harvest grapes, they're going to drink a lot of wine, and they're going to get drunk. They're going to have a party. And so they gather grapes from their vineyards, they trod them, and they hold a festival. And it's during this festival, they're eating, they're drinking, they're getting drunk. And in verse 28, after a sufficient amount of wine has passed into Gale, he, his lips get loose, and he starts talking off and, and saying things towards 
uh, Abimelech. And so probably all the things that he's secretly thought are now at this point coming out. And he says, uh, verse 28, um, who is Abimelech? Uh, and who are we of Shechem that we should serve him? So immediately challenging his authority. Um, and then he says, and he goes and challenges Zebul, the officer of Abimelech. And then uh, in verse 29 is when he kind of has his thesis statement, which is what he says is, uh, would that this people were under my hand. And then I would remove Abimelech. And I would say to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. So he's, he's basically saying, I think I would be a better leader than Abimelech. And as a matter of fact, I would challenge Abimelech to get all of his men together and I'll get my men together and we'll fight. And I think it's going to go well for me. And so obviously he's, he's drunk, but he's, he's saying this in the presence of all the people of the city, all the leaders. And so this is enough for him to, and, and no one's challenging him at this point, um, except for this kind of like sleeper agent, Zebul, who's there. But he knows that Zebul is in favor with Abimelech. So apparently he doesn't care or he's not aware um, that he should be worried that Abimelech is going to find out about this, this little rant. And uh, what's interesting about verse 29, just like we learned, uh, you know, you see the leaders of Shechem not learning from their mistakes. They're kind of leaning into their human nature and thinking that their own judgment is wise. They're going to do the same thing again. You see here uh, from Gail's perspective, he thinks that if he was in the leadership position, he would be doing a much better job than Abimelech. And this is, this is true of almost all human sinfulness, that we always look to uh, leadership and we think from at some level that our judgment would be better. Now, uh, Gale does this uh, with regards to Abimelech, who is admittedly a wicked ruler. Um, but I think what's interesting about this is this is the same posture that the Israelites take against Moses when Moses is leading them. This is the same posture um, that sometimes David's soldiers take against him. This is the same posture that the disciples sometimes take against Jesus. They say, you know, we, we really think we shouldn't go there. We think we should go here instead. Or we really don't think it's good for you to be crucified. Instead, we think you should just, you know, start your revolution right now. And so it's always interesting how from a human judgment perspective, uh, we always tend to favor our own judgment and think of it as, as wiser. And this is magnified by both the alcohol and the pride of Gale, where he just comes out and says, I'll take them on in, in open combat. And this obviously is not going to go well because we've already read uh, what happens to him. So essentially what happens at this point is now there's two figures, two bushes. Uh, so the, the men of uh, Shechem have, have picked another unworthy leader and they're going to down, have these two square off against each other. But Abimelech is going to get the upper hand, right? He's, a, he's going to hear word from Zebul. Zebul's going to send a messenger to him which, and the messenger's going to tell him, go ahead and ambush uh, go ahead and ambush Gale, and in doing so, you'll, you'll maintain your authority. And so that's exactly what happens. Abimelech divides his army into four different regions, four different groups, and he's going to come up, he's going to sneak attack the city, and he does so at, at the first light. So Gale's most likely hungover. He's most likely not in a position to fight at this point. And Abimelech is going to take advantage of all of that and try to win the battle. And that's exactly what happens, is uh, Zebul betrays Gale and basically says, where is your mouth now? Um, who is Abimelech that we should serve him? And he's basically sarcastically saying, hey, you were, you were talking a big game earlier. Now that him and his army are here, why don't you go ahead and back it up? And so without wisdom or discretion, Gale is going to actually engage in this conflict. And it's not more than one verse before he's running for the hills. In verse 39, he goes out against uh, Abimelech with the leaders. And in verse 40, it doesn't even tell us about the battle. It just says that Abimelech chased him and he fled before him. And so this is not much of a fight that Gale was able to put up. So Abimelech takes this rebellion, and now we get to see 
um, how this betrayal of uh, first the leaders of Shechem, the betrayal between them and um, uh, Abimelech has taken place. And now you see Zebul who betrayed uh, Gael. And now Abimelech is going to take this full circle and he's not satisfied just with an eye for an eye, taking care of the person who was rebellious against him. You're going to see that his justice, his vindictive justice is going to go to anyone and everyone who would have possibly been associated with this uh, situation. So in verse 42, all the way down through verse 49, he attacks a whole bunch of people. He attacks the citizens of a city, kills all of them, people who were not involved in this conflict really at all. Um, he kills the leaders of Shechem by, by like rallying them all together in a tower and then essentially burning the tower by laying wood down on it. And he lights it on fire. And then he's not satisfied with that. And then in verse 50, uh, he goes to another city, Thebes, which is north, not even involved in this, in this situation. And he's going to go ahead and kill all the people in that city. And he's going to press that even into their stronghold tower. So he's going to try to destroy this city as well. And in doing so, that his, he's, he's showing us that he's not a just or rational thinker. He's, he's making up this plan on the fly. He's not thinking it through. And he's just, he's just kind of fuming at this point. Because the people who opposed him, he already took care of earlier when he killed the leaders of Shechem. And he already kicked Gale out of town. So he has nothing left justly to go against. So he's just going to kill anyone in his sight. And so he's showing what kind of a ruler he really was. And this is, I think, something that we can learn a lot about because when you put evil people in power, you shouldn't expect that they are going to all of a sudden come to their senses and be able to restrain themselves. This power is not good for wicked men to have access to. And so, so it is with Abimelech. He, he kills the whole city, kills the leaders, kicks Gael out of town, and then he goes against Thebes. And he's, when he's pressing in against that city is where finally he meets his end not by Gale's army, not by the leader of Shechem uh, overcoming him. Uh, a woman who was fleeing with her husband somehow is going up in a tower and either there's a millstone up in the tower or she carries this along with her. And then when he comes to the base of the tower, he gets close enough where she can drop it on his head and kill him. And this is the thing that is the end of Abimelech. Now that's very ironic because he just survived direct opposition he did so by employing spies and conspiracy. He's, he's learned some strategies. He's learned some tactics. He destroyed a whole city, didn't face any danger, and then a woman is going to be the one who's responsible for killing him. Now, what's interesting about that is there's no good explanation for that, except for that this is God in his providence ensuring that Abimelech is going to meet his fate. Now, this is similar to sometimes you'll see the kings of Israel go out to battle, and they'll, uh, for example, one of the kings is told that he's going to die in battle, so he shouldn't go out in battle, and he says, no, I'll disguise myself. So he disguises himself just as a normal Israelite and then a stray arrow from like way behind the lines hits him and kills him. And so sometimes God's providence defies chance, logic, our ability to fathom what's, what's happening and what's, what's going on. And that's what happens with Abimelech. He meets his end. Um, he meets his end in a disgraceful way. The other person who's killed by a woman in the book of Judges is, if you remember, Sisera, the person who's described as a particularly wicked ruler over the people of Israel. And now Abimelech is dying like an enemy of Israel. He's dying at the hands of a woman in this kind of disrespectful way. And that's a really interesting thing because the only other person we've met in Judges was a wicked ruler who does that. And so this is, is a, it's a character statement about Abimelech and his leadership, that, that God deemed this as a just way for him to meet his end. And so a woman kills him. Um, he's obviously a coward because he can't, even, he can't even handle that. He wants to just be killed. 
so that technically on the footnotes of this battle, no one can say a woman actually killed him. Someone can say his own armor bearer turned against him. He thinks that's a better outcome. And it's just revealing his, his uh, total uh, moral uh, questionability all over the place. And then, uh, right again, right, we've, we've gone through all that drama. And just to remind you of what's going on, the narrator tells us, remember at the beginning and at the end, what's actually happening is that the justice that God has said is going to happen does happen. So all of the messiness of Gael and the betrayal and Zebul and Abimelech and this woman throwing a rock out of, out of a tower, all of that is interesting and it's fascinating and it's a great story. But all in all, the summary of what's happening is God is justly dealing out punishment to the people who acted wickedly. So the, the rulers of Israel were wicked in it putting a, ru- a wicked ruler in, in power. God will not allow his people to be led and, and ruled and, and corrupted by this wicked ruler. So he doesn't get more than a couple of years in the throne. God deals with the, the wicked leaders who put him into power. He deals with the, the wicked ruler himself. And he does so in a way where all of them are, are dealt justly with, right? Abimelech is killed by a stone. And I think last week I pointed out that's similar to how his brothers meet their end, right? He kills his brothers, all of them on one stone. And now there's this almost uh, poetic pattern to how he dies as well at the hands of a stone. And so uh, what, what's happening is God's justice is on display. Now, the, the big question is uh, always in Judges, what can we learn from these stories? They're fascinating. They're very interesting. There's a lot of dynamic characters happening and, and moving in these texts. But what is it that we can learn uh, from, these, from these verses? Well, I, I think I mentioned it a little bit last week. In the whole story arc of Abimelech, you, the thing you recognize about him is he's, he's a counterexample of what a good leader is like. He, he almost, every decision he makes is a, is a negative example of what you should not be and what you should not do. So he, is, he, comes, to, he comes to his, his throne of power in an unrighteous way. He does so subversively. He does so by conspiracy. And so this is not good. And he hasn't improved on that because he hires people around him who are wicked um, to, to lead. Uh, and to help him enforce his his power. So he has wicked people around him. He himself is a wicked ruler. And then uh, when he has the opportunity to deal with his enemies, how does he deal with them? In an unjust manner. He, he kills them. He kills all the people who live in their cities. And then he goes and kills neighboring cities as well who have nothing to do with the conflict. And so he's a, he's a vindictive ruler. And in all that counterexample, you, you can ask the question, well, who is a fit ruler for Israel? Who would be the only ruler that could possibly be fit in this position. And you, you read a little bit on further and you, you might say, oh, Moses would have been a good example of this, but Moses himself falls short in many ways. You get to King David, he's a good ruler, a military leader, he, he acts justly, but he himself is a man and falls short. It's not until thousands of years later when you encounter Jesus that you encounter a, a leader who is not vindictive in his justice. He doesn't come to power in some evil, conspiracy, wicked kind of way. Um, instead of dealing harshly with his enemies, he actually deals gently with them. Instead of killing them and killing everyone associated with them, he actually restrains himself and actually allows himself to be killed for his enemies. Um, I think uh, in Colossians, it, it says it uh, very well. Um, I'm just going to read this verse for you. Um, Colossians describes us as being alienated and hostile in mind and doing evil deeds. And, in, and how God responds to us in Christ is he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present us as holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So rather than dealing justly with us, rather than dealing unjustly with us, he deals with us in his own death. And I think by the non-example of Abimelech, we get a really good example 
of, of what Christ is like. It, it almost magnifies or amplifies the goodness of how he deals with us. So that we can uh, go ahead and close in prayer and then uh, we'll move, in, move into uh, some discussion. Father God, we thank you for uh, the text before us. Lord, we thank you that um, these words have been preserved um, by the, the pens of, of diligent scribes and um, diligent uh, stewards of your word. Um, Lord, we thank you that we uh, get to benefit from reading it and studying it um, thousands of years after these words have been recorded. And Lord, it's a, it's a miracle that we can learn from this. It's a miracle that uh, there's anything in here at all for us to, to profit from, Lord. But um, in your grace, I pray that you would allow us to, to see and to understand and um, also to apply uh, much of this to our lives, Lord. Uh, would we grow in our appreciation of you and, and how you've treated us, um, seeing all the, all the negative examples of what leadership really is like on a human level? Um, would that amplify our, our um, thankfulness for you and, and what a good leader you are to us and um, how you've led us um, out, of, out of being enemies, restored us, and, and brought us in as, as sons and, and daughters of the King? We thank you and we praise your name. Amen.